the the science shows that there's no need for these super strong opioid antagonists. Right. I think it's money ploy. And now the government, <laughs> oh God, they're so uh, <laughs> they really like like they put on this this facade that they that they're gonna do this and this, and it's just it's just all for show. Don't Hide the Scars, a weekly podcast focused on addiction and recovery. Created by the nonprofit Pain, parents and addicts in need, and founded by Flint Anderson. So, Nate, uh, I don't know if you saw this, but the uh, AP News, uh, the story is FDA approves over-the-counter Narcan, and it goes on to say, here's what it means. Your perspective, do you think it's going to make a big difference in getting into people's hands? Well, I I. I... I think it will help for sure. It's a good thing by all means, but we have to look at this from multiple facets, right? Historically, Narcan has been too expensive at the pharmacy. Even when we had the naloxone shortage, they did not lower their cost. And it kind of upset me with the CEO's statement, how they like to go on this uh, escapade about how they care about the opioid epidemic but it's like do you really care is this just, <laughs> right. just for no like i mean you know what i mean you ain't got a lot of me because the people that are involved in this like we know where you really stand like you are profiting and making millions and millions from this and it really really upsets me and i'm pretty sure even emergent said that people um during the fda hearing and the call and stuff like that they said that lay people shouldn't be administering intermuscular naloxone all the while we have so much data I mean, people have been inter- people have been administering intermuscular naloxone for over 30 years and saving lives, you know. And so they want to take that jab at it. And it's like you you guys have had a monopoly on this market, you know what I mean? And so I think it will help. That comment really upset me. I don't appreciate that comment by them. And um, but is it going to be cost effective? You mm. know what I mean? Because the intermuscular throughout history has been the most cost effective and people like harm reductionists have been doing this work since, since Dan Biggs started this movement, you know, and, uh, for, for decades and, and getting it into people who use drugs as hands and whoever wanted it for free for, for decades, you know? So I think it'll help, but it needs to be cost effective. And I really hope that they approve harm reduction therapeutics version of, of, uh, OTC, I think it's like a nasal swab, and, and they they're saying that it's going to be like seventeen dollars per package, and I think they're going to donate ten percent of the products that they manufacture to, to groups doing the work. So we'll see. Yeah, you know, uh, Nate, I'm going to start right out with the, with the first paragraph on this thing. You know, and it and what it says is, and I, and and I quote: the U.S. Food and Drug Administration on Wednesday approved selling the leading version of naloxone without a prescription, setting the overdose reversing drug on course to become, and here it is, the first opioid treatment drug to be sold over the counter. I take issue with the first paragraph. It is not a treatment drug. It is a life-saving drug to reverse the effects of the opioid overdose, period. This mm-hmm. is this is not a this is not a drug for treatment. This is not something we I own a treatment center. This is not something we use. I mean, we obviously have it there in case somebody, you know, sneaks something in and they happen to, you know, go into overdose. Of course we have it. And we are a huge proponent of it. But I also believe until this government starts changing the verbiage and a lot of this stuff that we're that we're doing, they're they're just we're just beating a dead horse here. You know, it, it, because, again, that's telling a parent or it could be telling a parent, hey, as long as you grab the, the naloxone here and you give it to your kid, your kid's going to be cured after this. And we all know that's horseshit. Right. I oh. mean, it's it's just that simple. I mean, just that simple. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 I'll even do you one better. So parents. Parents in, to, to, to add to that. So they did. a They so we're we're pushing. uh narcan in schools heavily in the schools right now and parents one of the 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 parents said they're afraid that their kids will think it's okay to to endeavor in substances because of that so i feel like with that verbiage that's pushing parents to think that even more so which we know is not the case and there's even research showing that increased access to to narcan does not uh increase substance use whatsoever you know 
and and so on but they don't know that you know and and, and i i get it these parents are scared they're they're absolutely terrified and i'm not a parent i don't know what that's like i have no idea but you, you know we it, it, the media and the government they've got to really change their verbiage because because they they put all this stuff on the news but there's no clarity whatsoever right. and they leave it to the viewer to figure it out and there's so much misinformation within the media tiktok all these social media platforms and, and they just scare them to death and it's uncalled for right yeah. they, you know exactly you know and again reading reading this thing further they say there's a couple of things in here and I could read it, but, but what it's saying is that it's, it's probably going to sell anywhere between 50 bucks and up. We all, we all know the general public is not going to walk into a, to an over the counter place and spend $50 or more for Narcan. I, I just, I just don't see that happening whatsoever. And there was a piece uh, or, or there was a, some, some things said in there that the pharmaceutical companies are going to take a look at this in general. And if they don't see sales, they're going to pull that thing right off, right off the market, you know? And again, they're a for-profit business. That's, that's what they do. If something mm -hmm. isn't selling, they're going to yank it off the shelves immediately, you know, so so again, to 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 sell something like this for fifty bucks or more, I I I am sorry, I just don't see the general public going in and and, and buying it. That's why that that's why we're here, Nate. You're here, <laughs> right? So we can give it to people away for free, so so they have this stuff. Because I am, and Jason and I both agree on this. We're both huge proponents of Narcan. I think it it has to be in the schools. You just can't keep it in the nurses' station when a kid is overdosing. You know, a mile away. You know, on the other end of the campus, mm -hmm. you got to have it in each classroom. Each teacher needs to be trained on it. And I know teachers don't want to add another brick to their pile, so to speak. But my God, this is a 10 second training. You, you, you roll them over, you shove it up their nostril. OK, I mean, how difficult can this be? Um, this isn't given a CPR course at even, you know, so I, you know, I don't know. We, we just have to keep pushing our end. You need to keep pushing your end, you know, to make sure people have this stuff. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I don't see the general public buying it at that cost. But here, someone brought this up. Now, if sales don't happen, are they going to raise the price that the government pays through these free programs and 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 so on and so forth? What what's that going to look like? Is it is mm -hmm. is that going to affect that because they're not meeting sales? You know, and I understand like the business aspect of it. They have to make money, but. My thing is just, just if, if that's what you're doing, stand on that. Don't act like you care. Right. But yeah. historically, you're just trying to make money. You know what I mean? Just stand on what you stand on. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there was a, there was another little piece in here that that was talking about another another nonprofit out there that is distributing Narcan. But they've got the backing of Purdue Pharma. Mm. You, you, you know, I mean, you know, there's strings attached when you're dealing with Purdue Pharma or any pharmaceutical company. I mean, yeah, yeah, the, yeah of course. I mean, that's like the cigarette companies, you know, giving giving money to put it up signs that say, you know, please, you know, please, you know, don't smoke until you're 18, whatever the hell it means. Right. right? But they're out giving that little advice. They're shoving money into it. But all the way they're they're behind the, the behind the doors going, ha -ha, OK, we got them. You know, we got a whole nother generation of smokers coming up here. Yeah, I I mean, I. I know harm reduction therapeutics. I think their version is like a nasal swab. So you just stick it up the nose and you swab it and it hits the mm. mucus. And they're a nonprofit. Um, and so, and I've never seen um, anything really done like this before where they're going to donate right. 10% of, of what the, the products that they manufacture and a $17 cost at the counter for it. That's just like unheard of, you mm -hmm. know? And, uh, and I mean, if you if you buy, I know if you go through, uh, who is it? If you go through Remedy Alliance and buy the intermuscular, I think you can get them three, five bucks a vial, which is super cheap. I mean, you got to buy the syringes too. But other than that, I mean, that's 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 where we're at with this, you know. Um, so it's it's yeah, it's incredibly frustrating, you know, and, and yeah. So Nate, explain to me the intermuscular, uh, the the injection Narcan with this. So you, uh, how so do you want me to explain it? Well, I mean, I mean, again, I obviously I understand, I understand needles, uh, <laughs> you know, um, uh, the, the intermuscular as, as compared to the nasal spray, is it the same 
time frame that that the Narcan reverses the opioid overdose? Uh, is it faster? Does it get into the strip in the bloodstream faster? Does What's, it remain what, longer? Does it remain longer in the system because it's because it's an injectable? It so it it's like the the data on it shows that it acts just a little bit faster and it has just a little bit stronger affinity to the um to the mu opioid receptor okay. and also when you're dealing especially like at a street level with people who are using drugs and are opioid dependent they prefer it because it's 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 easier on the precipitated withdrawal that comes mm -hmm. along with the administration of it so okay. they prefer it um. Now, when you're talking like pediatric cases, like a kid or someone that's not opioid dependent, then, you know, the four and eight milligrams, you, you know, and things like that, that's not really going to matter to like a specifically a pediatric case or maybe in a medical setting where maybe a freak accident happens and someone sure. has a freak response to like fentanyl or something like that, which is very rare. But in those cases, it wouldn't be a big deal. I gotcha. I, okay. I gotcha. You know, just something else to bring up here to, to think about, you know, there's, there's another naloxone out there called Clodaxo, which is a 12 milligram, uh, nasal, nasal spray. And, you know, and when these people called me and they started talking to me about it, I thought, okay, yeah, that this is, this is great. And then I started thinking about it and I thought, okay, are we going to get to a 16? Are we going to get to a 20? Are we to get to a 24 milligram? I, I, I mean, are the pharmaceutical companies going, hey, guys, hey, this thing ain't going away, which we know it's not for right now. Right. But but man, we're going to be in this for the next 50 years. So mm -hmm. so let's just keep developing a, a, a stronger one as as time goes on. And with that, aren't we sending the wrong fucking message? OK, that that we are we're not going to fix this, the government. We're not going to fix this. This is going to be here. We don't know how to fix it. I'd rather have them come out and say, we don't know how to fix it. You know, I don't know. What's your, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I'm, I'm going to backtrack you real quick. So when they, when they put a temporary scheduling on all fentanyl related substances, it hurt us with researching furthermore into antidotes for some of these um, opioids that bind to different receptors like the kappa receptor now mm -hmm. given it is very rare that you're going to come across substances like that like u47700 um but they hindered us on that because they wanted to to criminalize it and make it illegal and then the process if you get approved takes a year or longer to even get approved to start doing that research now i think the the science shows that there's no need for these super strong opioid antagonists. Right. I think it's money ploy. And now the government, <laughs> oh God, they're so, uh, <laughs> they really, like, like they put on this, this facade that they, that they're going to do this and this, and it's just, it's just all for show. And, and they're, they're going back to old, like eighties drug war style tactics. And yeah, it's just yeah. not, it, you know, if you know the history of it and you, you know, it's just not going to work. And, you know, even, even like, like they're worried about telehealth, buprenorphine, right. you, know, you know, like, come on, like diverted bupe is the least of our fucking worries. <laughs> right. like, and, and even, even if people are getting access to a regulated medication and they're selling it, who gives this? Like, I really, like, I personally don't give a shit because like if people like historically, like and I, th this all goes down into like, access to medications access to treatment like how how we treated mental health throughout history and and people seeking it because people that are seeking out substances are they're they're missing something they're, they need something you know and we have like this puritan ideology that drugs are bad but the thing about it is is that most people that use drugs don't they don't develop chaotic substance use disorder. You know what I mean? It's, it's only like 11.6%, 7%. And, and, and so if you look at like by criminalization, that's what shifted the supply of fentanyl, right? Mm -hmm. Fentanyl is not even that good of a drug to be honest with you, like compared to like real heroin and oxy, but we keep shifting the supply through criminalization. Yeah. I don't know if that, I don't I don't know if that makes sense or not, but we're seeing it yeah. now. We're 
we're about to see i i personally believe that we're about to see the drug supply shift again especially with like like xylazine took over in six months or well it took over 35 percent in six months and then we're seeing medicines and things like that so we're due for the dope supply to shift again back to ground zero back to all this bullshit back to you know where we were five years ago because xylazine's been in this country for like five years and we're just now getting to where we're talking about it do you know do you know that that stuff was actually actually developed and made in the 50s yeah yeah, I mean, I mean, in the fifties, this is how long this stuff has been has has been around. You know, again, methadone was invented back in the forties. You know, this this is this is no big surprise to to those of us that work in this thing. You know, it's just somebody finally figured it out that 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 they can get the chemical concoctions and they can make it themselves and 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 start making a profit off of it. That's all. I, I I mean, and you're right. I mean, those the fentanyl at some point is it's always going to be here, but it's going to just kind of go away because you're going to have a better, stronger, longer acting opioid somewhere come along. Right. That I, that that the addict's going to want. I wouldn't even say fentanyl is really not that long. Like it, it it doesn't hold the euphoria that that oxy does or H right. does. But I mean, and that's why. So theoretically, they think people cut fent with xylazine because it gives it legs it makes it last longer yep. it would be kind of like taking a benzo with an opioid per se kind of like that and um but most people that i talk like there is some people that p- prefer and seek fentanyl but a lot of people that i talk to they're like dude we just w- wish we could get some real heroin you know uh-huh. and, and they would be fine with that because and, and even the, the the detox is harder it's harder to treat yep. and treat Center, you know what I mean? B- because the precipitated withdrawals. Because I've seen guys on day four get get a get a uh, a suboxone or, or a subutex and precip automatic. You know, right. so it's hard. Detox is worse. Um, and they and but with the supply and criminalizations, they have to be elusive in it. In it and it ships. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, so we're bound to see it happen again. And I I think we're at that four to five year point now where it's it's we're going to see it happen and it's always for the worst you know and uh and with xylazine coming on the market like there's no treatment center ready there's like one lab in the country that tests for it for urine analysis you can't get shelter you can't get treatment if you have necrotic wounds they're going to tell you you have to get medically cleared there's no there's no uh updated withdrawal protocol i think maybe in massachusetts they might have dropped some some information on it and uh it's good like so if it if it was to shift to xylazine predominantly it would be an absolute nightmare yeah 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 yeah, yeah would, we've we've shared some of the stories about our course by some of the street drug names trank crock and you know mm-hmm. those mixtures thereof and it is it's a nightmare i mean you literally see a, a picture of of, of of an addict as an, an ill person that there, there's something internally missing and their arm is rotting off and wanting to take that pain away or or better yet you know the the, the withdrawal New Perceptions North, the premier drug and alcohol treatment and recovery center in Central California. A full continuum of medically supervised top quality care with programs for detox, inpatient residential treatment with dual diagnosis, intensive outpatient treatment, sober living, support groups, and more. With 50 plus years of combined experience and sobriety, Flint Anderson and Thelma Gatlin Wilson provide adult men and women with the highest caliber of professional healthcare, treating each client with compassion and respect, and a safe, comfortable environment to begin the process of recovery to proudly create and sustain a life without addiction. Call 559-978-1507 or visit newperceptionsnorth.com. Yeah, and with and with xylazine, with the withdrawal onsets in four to six hours, and then right. and then so if you get necrotic wounds, you're looking at a, if you a week minimum uh getting treatment but there's no mandated withdrawal protocol for it right. so how are they being treated in the hospital which we know that that you can treat it with clonidine and, and things like that but uh 
we also have to look at how are these people that are using drugs being treated in the hospital? Are they being made comfortable? Are we making it to where we can treat these wounds and they're comfortable for them to be able to seek help? Because most people I know on the streets, they don't like going to hospitals. They- no, no, no. I, I didn't either because you're not going to get comfortable in a hospital at, at, at best. What they're going to give you is a, is some sort of benzo. You know, they may give you, they may give you a little morphine in the beginning. All right. But that's about the extent of it. Hospitals. I got to tell you, man, hospitals are the worst, one of the worst places to go. If you think you're going to, you're, you're trying to seek treatment because Mm -hmm. hospitals, I mean, it's just like now I had a lady come in a couple of weeks ago. Wonderful lady. She's, she's works in the NICU, NICU unit, uh, with, with babies that are withdrawing off of methadone. And um, you talk about an absolute nightmare right now. And here's just one of the things that is happening. These these nurses and these doctors, again, I'm not saying they, they have a heart for this, obviously, but they cannot take care of these babies well enough that the nurses are getting frustrated, the doctors are getting frustrated, and they're discharging these infants, these two-week, three-week, four-week-old infants home with the addicted parent. And and if if the parent can't get their methadone, they're taking the babies. You you, you know, I, I mean, this is such a, a clusterfuck from A to Z in all areas of addiction, you know, Nate, and as, and I know I'm rambling a minute here, but, <laughs> but okay. I, I'm listening to you. And, and I've said this a thousand times over the last 15 years, why doesn't the government, the powers that be get you and me in these places to explain all of this to these higher ups, because they're not bringing us in to tell them, they're not bringing the, the recovering addict that's got serious recovery time under their belt. Look, man, there's not much I don't know about this because I did it all. You did it all. Why aren't they bringing us in to, t- to talk to them about this? You know, I'm understanding what you're saying 100%. I guarantee you some doctor sitting here, all right, or, or, or somebody that's working for the FDA could be sitting here. And they're not going to understand one thing we just said. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, mean, I don't get it, man. I just don't get it. The FDA didn't even know that xylazine wasn't an opioid when they made their first statement on it. We're not <laughs> right? sure if it works on it. I'm like, dude, it's not an opioid. You know, and I'm like, and, and, and to be honest, I don't even know why the DEA is even, why they even have anything to do with our, uh, uh, with regulating substances, you know what I mean? Because because they they cause they cause the Adderall shortage. I mean, they literally cause it. And that, and, and 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 Adderall is one of the most studied substances on this planet for for treatment and stuff like that. But it's a very stick like eighty. It were ADHD and ADD where it's not something you see, but it's on the inside. It's not treated properly, you know what I mean? And so these people are going to the street and they're seeking out a substance that we know more than likely is going to be pressed with meth. And it might be even, it might have fentanyl or another uh, deadly sure. substance. So, I mean, we, 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 and, and I think like, I think everybody is like, I think prescription pills and things like that has a bad rep. So I think there's two things here. Like one, people are traumatized by, by big pharma and all that, everything that happened with the pill mills and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Doctors are scared to prescribe yeah. pharmacists afraid to feel and then we also have to like rethink like i personally think we have to rethink like how we look at drugs like it's not the drugs it's the individual's relationship to the substance that's where we start that's where a problem is or isn't you know what i mean because we're we're not giving people treatment just because of whatever the substance is we're not you know we're not looking at that and yeah, I think like if we can do some things before then, yeah, sure, we'll see how it works. But we got to take their word for it. You know what I mean? Because they know if it's working or not. We just think we, we do. They're med seeking. They're med seeking. And I'm sure people med seek for sure. But, you know, we got to we, we got we to completely rethink this because uh, what we've been doing for the past 50 years is not working. And like we're at the point now where another 120K people are going to die this year, if not yeah. more, you, yeah. you know. 
uh, we've not been doing this right. Yeah, I think it's kind of that that as you brought up earlier, and we've talked about with several people that were on drugs, and if we don't start shifting those incentives, because yeah, like uh, our our friend Greg Glod said mm-hmm. it when he was on here, look, you might have a good heart, but nobody doing this shit for free, right? So unless we start shifting those incentives, and with the the de- decriminalization, which a lot of people decrim, woohoo, and it's like, do you even know what the fuck you mean when you're saying that? So then you are going to be one of those people's like immediately this is a mental health issue and we need to be able to get them help help right away and shift those incentives from the law enforcement side when it relates to drugs to it's a mental health thing how do we get that funneling this direction i i I don't know it's just it's gonna be hard in my opinion when understanding how much lobbyists play a big part of who gets elected yeah well i look i i also think that we Substance, substance use, substance use disorder, whatever you want to call it, I think it needs to be broken down in so many different categories. And here's mm-hmm. just here's just a quick thought. Like I tell my family, I've been in recovery for 22 years. I wind up going to the doctor tomorrow and he tells me I've got pancreatic cancer. I've got six months and this is going to hurt like hell. Guess what? Load my ass up. All right. Load my ass up because because I, I want to be comfortable as I go through this. If by some miracle I it goes into remission and now I am dependent on that drug, then we'll worry about getting me off of that drug at, at that point. So so when you have people in America that are dealing with some horrific pain issues, horrific mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Now look, opioids do this in in my in my opinion. The narcotic, the hydrocodone in a in a Vicodin or a Norco or a Percocet. That hydrocodone tells our brain to tell us we are not supposed to hurt. All right? The the hydrocodone is not what's taking the pain away. It's the acetaminophen in that medication that's actually taken the pain away. The hydrocodone tells us we don't give a shit about the pain. Okay. (laughs) That's exactly what it does. Now with long-term opioid use, you can also get what's called super tolerance as, as it builds and builds and builds in your system. After me, after 23 years of using this shit, I was hurting all over the place. And it's a lot of it was due to the fact of the opioid, the hydrocodone causing more pain in my nerve endings. So we have we have to take a look at that people with long term serious pain issues. And we can't be afraid to prescribe them that dose that they need for that time period that that they're in. There Mm. needs to be different prescribing practices for different again, in my opinion, different types of injuries. You know, doctors have a prescribing practice because I did this for so long and I went to so many doctors, I would have a doctor that would prescribe 40 pills, 7.5 milligram Vicodin for everything. If you walked in there with a torn ligament in your knee, 40 pills. If you walked in there with, with, with any type of pain, 40 pills, then you had another, then I have another doctor that would prescribe 240 pills because that's how many legally he can prescribe for the month. And he would prescribe those 240 for everything. Another doctor, 15 emergency rooms, usually, usually prescribe 20. Okay. So we, we, we need to get that down to almost to figure out for each ailment type of thing, what are we going to prescribe for that patient? Then we better have something in place for when that patient finally says, I need to get off of these things. Okay. Yeah. Because I believe uh, the methods that we're using now, we are driving people to that, that full blown addict stage. See, there's a difference to me. There's a difference between being dependent on an opioid, opioid, and 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 becoming a full fledged drug addict with it. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Right? There's a total difference there. You know, not everybody that uses opioids become me. Okay. Ornate or, or, or Nate, right? Yeah. Become us, right? That 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 go out and just you know fuck up the world with it. 
Mm-hmm. But again, and if we don't change, and now Jason's going to go, he's on his fucking. Okay. <laughs> I'm listening. <laughs> um, and if we don't change, look, I'm the first one for it. We need to change the treatment industry. Mm-hmm. That that This whole thing needs to be revamped and how we do things and how we can make it affordable for the client. And, and here's the kicker and still profitable, not over the top, but still profitable for the treatment center. Because people don't understand the cost. I, every month I cringe, okay, because <laughs> because of being in California and just our state taxes alone on, 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 on this stuff. And, and again, Nate, when you're dealing with nine, 90% of our clientele live our, our upper middle, middle class to upper middle class individuals that are not going to send their kids to a county treatment center. Uh-huh. They're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. They're not going to send them someplace where there's a bunch of parolees. And I had this, we had this discussion with somebody else on a, on, on an earlier podcast where, where, you know, you, you, you almost have to separate that out as well. You know, it, it and, and it's, and it's sad to say, but, but what I'm talking about here is you have the street person. Not every addict is a street person. Not every addict has a mental health issue. Not every addict pisses his pants and shits in your front yard. You know, you it, it it's it's so so that addict, I'm sorry, is not going to go to a county facility. The families aren't going to send them there. This mm-hmm. is a mess. This whole thing is a mess. And again, we 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 got to do something. But I mean, we we try, but you know, we're we're beating our heads against the wall a lot of days here. Yeah, I well, I mean, yeah, so uh, opioid dependence doesn't mean substance use disorder. You know Correct. what I mean? The choice is if someone is opioid dependent, are they, are they stealing to get more? Like what does, what are their, what does their life look like? What does their, their decisions look like? Opioid dependence doesn't mean, you know, and, and chronic pain patients, my God, I mean, they just got totally fucked because of everything. Oh, they did. I yeah. Mean, I mean, people, I mean, they're, pro- I, I would say people are committing suicide because they're in so much pain. You, you know what I mean? Like, People, if people are in pain, they deserve to be prescribed a medication that will treat their pain and keep them comfortable to where they're not hurting. You know what I mean? Correct. And then and then and here's here's another thing. So SAMHSA released a report. Right. And it was roughly I want to say it was 40 million people potentially qualified for substance use disorder of that 40 million. I think it was 97 percent perceived that they didn't need treatment. So that would mean so that would mean that what I see in that is that we need to invest more money. Um, Now, don't get me wrong. We need more beds. God knows we need more beds. Everybody knows that because it's like I I, down here. It's a two to three week wait. So um, and but they're going to have to invest more money into like preventative, like not, not preventative measures, but into harm reduction and keeping those people alive until they're ready perceived because people don't go until until they're ready unless the courts make them absolutely make them go to catch a charge and things like that but nobody goes until they're ready and then if you're ready like that readiness only it lingers you know a week goes yeah days you know it's a pretty it's an urgent issue you know what i mean and uh but waiting two to three weeks for a bed is just it's 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 crazy you know how many people die because of that you know Right. Tons. It's uh, and mentioning that with harm reduction, you know, we've been talking with different people and perspectives on on long term harm reduction. And, you know, I wanted to really kind of pick your brain on that. You know, Flint's got his perspective from personal use, you know, two years of methadone. I mean, <laughs> as he says, walked into the clinic, said, stick this up your ass. I'm done. Mm-hmm. Uh but, you know, what's kind of your pre- and what was your modality when you were going through your recovery? I believe you did use some Suboxone, but for a limited period of time. Yeah. So I use Suboxone. So when I was going to the clinic and this clinic got raided and shut down, both their clinics got raided and shut down. <laughs> but I was going I was going um, I went for like 16 months, maybe a little bit longer. And uh, and then I got robbed. And I was paying cash for it. And I tried to get on my dad's insurance. He was like, no, we're just going to send you to treatment. So I went to treatment and I did like a seven day rapid taper. And it was, it was, that's not how you're supposed to taper off that stuff. <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> it was rough. It was rough. Um, I think if I would have had uh, a slow 
taper over time, it would have been a completely different story. Um, I don't, I really don't know how I made it through it. Now, I think, I think people, the issue with this and, and, and this is definitely an unpopular opinion. So I think that like we have, so the data shows that with long-term like suboxone use and methadone use that, that that's where people live longer. Right. And, and then, we have to allow people the autonomy to whether or not they want to come off of it because we want, you know, because we want everybody to be clean and sober, which, which ideally most people think means completely abstinence. But my, my thoughts on it, if that person is paying their bills, they're taking care of their kids, they're doing, they're contributing to society. You know, I think that's okay. If they choose to remain on that, that is completely up to their bodily autonomy to do that. Now with buprenorphine, that, that medication alone reduces opioid overdoses by 76% just in itself. Are those medications hard to come off of? Yes. The taper, but, but most people, I feel like with that, say that they, they kicked like I did, or, or maybe you did, you know, just, just like that. And it's super hard to do that and very risky. Um, but, but, you know, and even now we have supplicates, you can, you can go down and go on supplicate and you don't even really know that you completely come off of it. But how many people have access to that supplicates very, very expensive, mm-hmm. you know? So I think we gotta, we gotta start, we gotta stop like judging people and welcoming people on Mac. You know what I mean? Cause I know people that run people out of the rooms that are on it because of, because mm-hmm. of the statements, you know, um, I personally, I, if people want to stay on it forever, I, I don't have a problem with it because if they're, if they're, if they're living a fruitful life, that's all I could ask for. Sure. Yeah, and just to let people know, Matt, medical assisted treatment. Sometimes we throw out acronyms and maybe people that are tuning in don't get it. Yeah. But yeah. you know, some of the concern that we bring up and Flynn, I'll let you speak on it is some of those health things that can come into play, you know, and, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 a lot here. Look, it, it's the, the the my first response to you, Nate, would be show me somebody that's been on long term methadone for basically their entire life that is actually paying their bills, raising a family, being productive. I would love to see the numbers on that. Because because my first response is there's not many. I am all for short term harm reduction. What that what that time frame is, I think, is different for everybody. It could be uh, a a two week taper, a 30 day taper. It could be up to six months. I, I, I don't know. But when you start, no matter. And here's my and here's my rub. Nobody is telling these individuals both sides of the story. No, that I've heard. And I'm in, I'm like you, I'm in this every day, every day. This is my life. And I've been doing this a long time. Nobody is telling that person that's walking into that methadone clinic because they certainly didn't tell my ass this. Okay. Heart disease, bowel obstructions, sleep disorder. Um, uh, nerve, nerve, uh, nerve pain. Uh, it, we fracture easily, especially as we get older, when you are on these medications and the list goes on and on with this. Nobody's telling you that, that again, cause they didn't tell me this, that you, obviously they tell you, you have to come in every day to get your dose. I'm talking about methadone now. Okay. Every day to get your dose. But if you go to Santa Cruz for the weekend and you forget your dose of methadone, you cannot walk into another methadone clinic in Santa Cruz and get your dose. Mm-hmm. And at that moment in time, you're fucked mm-hmm. because now the physical withdrawals are going to start to kick in. The psychological piece is going to come into play the, with this. You're with your family. Now you're now, now everybody has been blown to shit over, over, over this thing. And even with Zaboxone, we we are the only treatment facility that I know of in the San Joaquin Valley that can detox some an opioid addict with Zaboxone on, on a daily basis, okay? They still have to come in and get it every day. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. Every day. And we can adjust that time for somebody if they want to come in at noon or 7 a.m. or 5 p.m., whatever it is. All right. But, but they're not being for informed that you are going to be tied to this now for however long you want to, you want to stay on it. And when you walk into that methadone clinic, the good addicts that we are, when you walk in and if you're on 120 milligrams or if you're on 70 milligrams, whatever it is, and you walk into that doctor and you say, hey, doc, this dose isn't holding me. Oh, OK, well, let's 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 take you up another 10. Let's take you up another 20. They never ask you, well, why? Why, why, why do you think, why do you think it's not holding you? Because in those methadone clinics, they, that their, their quote, therapeutic side to this is all bullshit is all 100% bullshit. So that person is, again, is not being informed properly. And that's, and that's my biggest bitch with all of this stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah, I, I agree. They, they didn't tell me that. I mean, I could tell them um, now, did it say, did it help me save my life? Yes. It definitely led me to where I am now. And it definitely probably kept me from overdosing for the amount of time that I was on it. Um, but now that's, that's, I, I think in all aspects that an individual cannot make the correct informed decision if they don't see the positives and the potential negatives from it. So, I, I absolutely agree. Like we have to tell the patients good and bad. It shouldn't be a matter of getting whatever they're paying cash or insurance. And that, that, that's not the question. If we're right. truly to help them, we need to tell them the good, the bad, and we need to be okay. If they decide to say no, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Because, and, and, and that, you, you know what I mean? Um, and it's, and it's also, you know, you know, with treatment and, and, and when I, when I was in the clinic, they made me go to therapy one once a week, maybe once a month, I can't remember. But also with treating like substance use disorder, there's, you know, there's more to it. You know, we need to trauma-informed therapy, maybe some EMDR, like yep. maybe groups, but, you know, and, and, and things like that um, uh, that needs to be offered. And I, I'm i not sure which places are offering that now, but that's definitely part of the equation um, because people are using – because of trauma, whatever reason, you know, they lost their housing, they're on the streets, like whatever. Um, that definitely needs to be included uh, with that equation. Um, but we also need to be, with asking that, most methadone clinics are not flexible. They don't give a shit. They'll let you go without and then go overdose and die and don't give a shit. You That's know what right. I, yeah. I mean, they're, 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 so there's like the DEA has oversight of them and then they're, they do site too there's state laws and procedure and things like that so that they're they're incredible that stuff's harmful it almost it uh it takes away from the good you know what i mean like if you go there and you're doing good you should be able to get your take-homes because some people got kids they work some people work two jobs you know it's expensive to live now you know yeah. what i mean we have to you know we have to take in and try to uh be flexible with people that's part of helping people you know uh, basic human interaction is compromising you know mm -hmm. And uh, if we're trying to save lives, we have to compromise with people. No, I absolutely yeah. should be telling people the good and the bad because they that was not my case either. And I, I didn't know. I had no idea the hell that I was in for, um, which if you taper right, that's not going to be the case. But that was that was a really hard ordeal <laughs> to go through. I made it through. It was incredibly hard. If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, please call Parents and Addicts in Need at 559-579-1551 or check us out online at painnonprofit.org. Follow us on social media at Pain Nonprofit. Please subscribe to the podcast and share with others wherever you get podcasts and on YouTube. To donate, please click the link in the description and help us save more lives gripped by addiction. Right. It, 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 exactly. And so there's so there's a lot of what, what I will call good people out spreading the wrong message on this because they're not informed. Jason knows this as well. This is uh, this is this is for the lack of a better term. This is a bandwagon issue. Let's everybody jump on the bandwagon here. Right. And let's all be the the, the, the people that, yeah, we're going to say we're going to help people. But damn it, if you if not you, but if people are going to do this, you better well be damn informed on everything.
that mm-hmm. goes with this. You can't you can't be Mickey Mouse about this and just give somebody part of the story. You're doing more damage than good if you're only giving part of the story here. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 again, and I'm going to bring this up because it's it's I think it's important, and we talked about this this morning. You know, and I'll just say it in these terms. You know, county health pro- programs, county health programs. I, 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 I called one last night at 620. I recorded it. There's not one person on that recording saying, if you've got a substance use disorder problem, if you need inpatient, you can call. This. It's a recording, by the way, right? Because every county office shuts down at five o'clock. There was not one reference to a, tr- to a private treatment center or even their own county treatment center. Not one reference to it, but you can call and leave a message and give us all this information and we will get back to you tomorrow. But if you call that number right now during the day, you're still going to get another fucking recording. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we if we're going to tell people we're going to help them, if cities and counties are going to tell people you're, we're going to help them, then damn it, help them. Well, and I think it goes back to what you said, Nate, is sometimes that window of clarity that oh. I want help is so small. And mm-hmm. we're just, you know, that for me is the upset part. That for me was some of the perspectives of harm reduction is I don't want to see someone continue to live in that same two block radius that they switched heroin for methadone and, you know with like you were talking about how the clinics are, they don't give a shit. Well, then they end up dead in that same two block radius. Mm-hmm. You know, that for me is the the failure. Yeah, they, they really don't. And uh, yeah, the, the, I, I know a lot of people not, not like the methadone has helped save their life, but their individual experience with the clinic has, has been like an absolute disaster with like how they've been treated. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. uh I mean, that pushes people away from seeking help, too, you know, because you can be traumatized in a medical setting. Absolutely. You, you know what I mean? And that 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 keeps people from reaching out and, and uh, trying to better their life, too, because of past experiences, you know, across the board. Sure. Um, I mean, I've had horrible experiences dealing with EMS. You know, they've mm. showed up for to respond to an overdose and they're like, well, why the fuck did you call us? Because they were they're responsive. You know, and it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so you only take dead people. Right, 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 right. You know, yeah. the, the other thing too is, and I, and I know I'm being, I'm being kind of picky right now, but, but I think this, this is also important. At least around here, when you go to the methadone clinics around here, because again, I did it. I can buy whatever I want in that parking lot. And these methadone clinics don't clean up their own parking lots. You can go to any four of the ones here. And at 5 a.m., there's somebody selling something in that parking lot on their property somewhere. And and so it starts with all that little stuff, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, even in even in my worst, I wanted to feel safe somewhere. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, and I and I never felt I mean, and I, you know, I wasn't some wimp. All right. But 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 I didn't feel safe even walking in that parking lot in the morning at 5 a.m. Yeah, there yeah. was some fucked up people there. Man. <laughs> okay? I mean, Jesus, uh, they probably there's probably somebody go, look at this crazy. Look at old this crazy yeah, exactly. I know um, when I clinic, they had a security guard there and I'm, I'm telling you. I would get out, uh, get to my truck, and I would be like putting my prescriptions and like the paperwork that you give me. I couldn't even put that up, and he was telling me to get the hell out of the parking lot. Like well, freaking good for out. them. Yeah, yeah. I was like, dude, you need to like calm down. Like, <laughs> I, I was like, I told him so. I'm like, dude, I'm not selling dope in your parking lot. Like, because I knew what he was thinking. I'm like, dude, you got chill. Like, yeah. And he was like telling me to get out, and I was like, Jesus. But yeah, no, no. <laughs> that, that, I yeah, that definitely happens. That's the you, you know, but that's on them. They they gotta. Uh, they got to hire security or, yeah. or something because, you know, people know, they know who's going there, the clientele, you know, they know what's up and they're going there to try to hustle, you know, and and, and that's on the clinic to, to, to keep that somewhere else, you know, yeah, that, that's, that's their responsibility to do that and to keep people safe, to keep like preying on people that are trying to, to better their life. 
So Nate, tell me, what do you, what do you think? I know we just got a little bit of time left, but, but what do you think, or what's your opinion? Cause I definitely got one. Uh, Jason does too on, um, actually going after cartels, actually going after China when it comes to all this mess. Well, we have to look at the geopolitical state of things right now. Um, we're not in the best shape with China over the stuff that happened with Taiwan. When, when, when uh, Pelosi went to Taiwan, things like that, that hurt us. They retracted uh, looking after precursors and things like that. Um, I don't think we're really going to do much because obviously we have Ukraine and Russia going on right now. Putin is a madman, you know, and I mean, God only knows what he's going to do next. It's very, very, very crazy over there. I don't think we're going to go after China in a sense of a war thing because, we, you, you know, I, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, so if we went after the – so here's the thing. If we went – we could go obliterate the cartels, but I don't think it would do anything because there's such a huge demand. Some other criminal organization is going to take over. Mm -hmm. They're going to move and take over. Now, they'll, they'll tell you that, the, you know, we'll stop the precursors. We'll do this and that, but it's like – is that really going to work? Because, I mean, if it was that easy, you know, if it was that easy, why hasn't that happened yet? What Tell me what drugs have we eradicated since the war on drugs started? Well, none. 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 We've right. never. Right. So, I, I, you know, we could go do it and it would look real good on TV and paper and things like that. But you're not going to stop a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar industry. You're just not going to do it um, because some organization will step in. And even in, you know, and then you've got to think about corruption and things like that coming to play politics. You know, pe people in with the, the powers to be, a lot of them are corrupt, you know, and uh and it's I just don't I don't think it's going to work. I that's that's kind of like why I uh, uh, I'm so kind of uh, radical with my ideas, because, I mean, we've been doing this for so long and this is where we're at. We've never it's never been successful. You know, they, they might they might seize 100 kilos, but 200 more just got across. They can't keep up. You know what I mean? And sure. uh, I don't think it'll work. Okay, so 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 let me just give you a little feedback on that. All right. Oh. And my, again, in my in my opinion, I don't think we've never ever given it our best effort, to be honest with you. Um, I agree. I agree with you. Once when you have a demand, the supply is going to get in. All right. It's it's that simple. But here's but here's part of the this, this is a huge part of the problem. This is right from DEA's lips to my ears. There are less than five thousand DEA agents worldwide working on this. You're not going to do shit with 5,000 agents. Okay. You're not going to do shit with a few, with a few hundred people at the border. Right. If, 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 when you fight a dragon, you got to cut off the head first. You don't start with the tail, you know, and, and somebody can't tell me that the United States is powerful as we are, that we can't protect our borders. Now we're not going to let, we're not going to get, get everything that comes across. But even when I see, even when I see, half a million pills being arrested at the border. I know there's five more semi trucks coming, coming up the, 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 the back end. All right. To get us in, but that 500,000 pills of fentanyl that we just stopped there, it, it saves somebody's life somewhere, you know? So, mm -hmm. so it's, it's again, follow the money, right? You you're, you're absolutely right. There's corruption. There's all of that. Somebody's getting paid off, whether it's some Senator, some Congressman, some DEA agent, some border patrol agent, you bet it's all there. But but as somebody that has seen a lot over the last 67 and a half years, right? If we don't, if we don't start to show some sort of force here and let these people know that we mean business, that you are literally killing our kids, this is such a this is almost a covert war against us. And, 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 and man, nobody can argue with me on this. We're, we're losing a generation of kids here. Okay. We're losing an entire generation. And when you go to war with somebody, man, you got to put on the armor and go to war. And I'm not saying start world war three over this. Nobody wants a war. Nobody wants another shot fired and some, and somebody getting killed. But my God, I mean, this is free reign. We might as well not have anybody at the border. We might as well not even have it at Tijuana. 
Just open up the fucking thing and let everybody in because that's basically what they're doing now. And I know this is this is kind of my thing. I'm passionate about it. And, and, and I'm open to conversations with everybody about this. But damn it. I, I, I mean, when when I see what I see, when you see what you see, this should this should. And it does. It, it makes us so angry, you know, so angry because you and I, Nate and Jason here, we're lucky to be sitting here. We mm -hmm. are lucky to be sitting here. We could have easily been dead 20 times over, you know, and, and, and when I see these, these kids that, and, and, and we're the lucky ones, man, when I see these kids and what, and what they're using right now and what they're up against when the recovery rates are 7% in the United States today, Jesus, what, what are we doing? You know, what are we doing? I don't, it's just all the older I get, the grumpier I'm getting. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, you know, I, I definitely get it. I, I get it. You know, it's, uh, it's like, what do you do? Do we, you, you know, I mean, they say we could completely close the border, but they're, it'll still get across. You know what I mean? And so there, I mean, this is a very, that, that very question is mul that has to be looked at from, uh, multiple angles. So, do we go to war and destabilize an already unstabilized country as is? You, you know what I mean? And uh, and then looking because obviously, you know, they're, they're advancing criminalization. And, and I, I understand that, too. But I also understand that with criminalization comes a stronger drug supply that we in inevitably have never been able to get a hand on. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So 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 that's why. That's why I personally like feel as if, you know, it's like, is it going to work? Cause so, cause we did, you know, we tried to do this in Columbia. We gave like these, uh, what do we do? I don't even know. We gave like these paramilitary groups guns, you know, mm -hmm. to try to fight. Yeah. 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 To try to fight, uh, against, El, uh, not El Chapo, but, uh, Pablo. Uh, Pablo. And, uh, so what happened was it already, it, it destabilized an already unstabilized country. It had more environmental harm and all these groups uh, splintered into separate factions and then it became more violent. Mm -hmm. um, and so that that's something else we have to look at. You know, is it going to cause more bloodshed, more violence? What's the country going to look like after we did that? What's going to be the result of that? You know, it, it's a very, it's a very tough situation. I, I personally just, and, and maybe they haven't given their best effort, but with the effort that I've seen, I truly don't think that it'll work. I think we're. Oh, that I agree with. Yeah, I uh, uh, I truly don't. I mean, drug use has been around for. Since before there was record of it, you know what I mean? And I right. think they'll be drug use. Um, mm -hmm. And it's a very tough question especially when you have kids like that are dying and stuff like that you know and it's uh and even more so like here's the thing too like prevention is more than bringing in like a speaker that has like 10 years right. for an hour you know what i mean that's yeah. that's more than prevention i mean for god's sakes like they don't i mean we know kids are using drugs like uh, we we know they're using drugs but then like okay why are they using drugs like is there are, are we looking to try to get kids into therapy and things like that you know what I mean? So so maybe that doesn't happen because substance use disorder is preventable. You know what I mean? You, sure. have, to, you have to address it beforehand. It's a result of this, this and this, you know, right. but we're not addressing that. I mean, the world is crazy today. These kids, they just went, you know, well, COVID's still going on, but we just went, you know, the, the world shut down. They at home isolated, uh, you know, their parents probably fighting all the time, you know, more, maybe not in every family, but they're messed up. You know what I mean? And uh, we got all this stuff going on in the world, but we're not. It's more than a homeboy that has 20 years in recovery, been to yeah. the deal, you know, speaking an hour a day. They shake his hand and they send him on their way back to economics class. You know, that's right. it's more than that. And even then, like, you know, when when uh, I work with some programs with kids that are uh, um, they're in the system, you know, like DJJ, things like that. When they have more resources on the inside than when they get out, yeah, you, you know what I mean. So we have to start like putting money into resource, like more, like we have to like really think like preventative measures, like, and that's access. I mean, 
I, I think a lot of it is access, like equitable, affordable healthcare, because we do not have that. You know, right. yeah, it, it, that's definitely another thing that 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 we could do. You know, even yeah, we got sold the BS line that we were getting affordable, equitable healthcare. I don't know that shit got more costly for me over the last decade, but you that's bet. neither here nor there. And and I agree with you, Nate. I spoke at a couple of classes um last week a friend of mine who's a teacher and the first time i went in last year i told my story and i got some nice things and people thank you for sharing and this time i spent of the hour session 10 minutes telling my story and 50 minutes having discussions about these things these traumas mm -hmm. and these things going on and vast majority of the students female and i don't know how many came up to me afterwards uh sharing that they too much like myself experienced sexual trauma and are still struggling with it and looking for the numb out. There was a girl that was already had already gone through uh, rehab, outpatient rehab, you know, 16, 17, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. You know, so this stuff is real. So I'm I'm kind of of a it's interesting the way you presented it, because I always looked at it as a two headed dragon, but it's kind of more of a hydra cut the head off. Another one grows back, maybe two grow back. You know, I hadn't really thought of it in that way. And mm -hmm. and I, I I think, again, with what both of you are saying, like if we don't shift those incentives, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to tell the hippie we're going to have to love ourselves out of this. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. Yeah. I <laughs> You know, I think we, uh, it's very, I mean, there's no one answer because this is a very multifaceted issue, right. you know, and it, it, it it's, it, it's going to take a collective conversation with people in every asset of this to come together and figure out what we're going to do. Um, if not, we're, it's just going to get worse. I mean, I, I mean, we know 120 K people at least are going to die this year, you know, if that, and, uh, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. And then I, they like, they, you know, it's obviously a big political topic right now, but I, I want to see action. I don't want you to talk about it. Like, what are you going to do that, that, that makes sense? You know what I mean? That we have, well, like that you haven't done before, you know what I mean? Well, again, it goes back all the way to what we were talking about in the beginning. Yeah. We, 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 the, the, the powers that be are the ones that are making the rules right now without asking the real people that have been through this, been there, done that, right? They're not asking our opinion on any of this stuff. Mm -hmm. We, you know, a, 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 most of us in recovery the, and, and especially long-term recovery, I mean, we're not idiots, we know that we know this stuff backwards and forwards. Right. And and when you get, a, you know, it's 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 sort of like when you get we we're dealing with a school district last week that didn't want to bring us in because they didn't think they needed it at this point to come in and talk about the fentanyl crisis and talk to the kids and the parents about all of this, because I'm a firm believer that that speakers need to be in those schools, but they need to be in those schools three, four times a semester. Okay, just not just not once and done, right? Yeah. You know, but when you've got when you've got, you know, whatever it was, seven school board members that are 60 50 years old and up and don't have any more kids in the system or don't have grandkids in the in the school system, they don't give two shits about this. Mhm. Mm you know, they don't. They don't care about it. They would rather, and this is a fact, one school district member was talking to another trustee who's the friend of mine and said, hey, man, if you if you vote to reduce uh, 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 a, yeah, clothing, the, 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 the clothing dress issue, the dress code issue, you know what? I'll vote for you to bring these people in to speak. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's just part of the other politic. And yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's ridiculous. So, so again, it, 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 we all keep saying we need everybody on the same page for this, blah, blah, blah. But until that happens, that's really the truth. It, until we have people on the same page that know what the fuck they're doing, nothing's going to change. And I'm certainly not going to see it in my lifetime. And that's a shame. Yeah. You, you know, people, they've got to like, especially like in politically, like in things of that nature where politics come involved, like that needs to come over here and they need to step outside of themselves and be like, what is the right thing to do regardless 
of my career, you know, like, and, and, and maybe make that decision, you, you know, because, because the powers that be are, you know, I feel like they're just trying for, to protect their career and extend it, you know, and I understand we have to make a living and things like that, but those decisions will directly lead to people dying yeah. and exacerbating this issue furthermore. Um, it's not about what your voters want. It's about if you're really about the people, you're going to make the best decision regardless if they may not back it because you believe it's the right thing to do. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know. If that, I don't know if that makes sense or not, but I just, I just, see, I just see people in these positions. They just do whatever is going to get them reelected, whatever they, their people support. And I think a real leader that will make that hard decision, regardless if they see it now they might see it then. And even if you don't get reelected, eventually they'll see why you made that decision. You know what I mean? I, I mean, because it, it always comes to light, you always. know, but they're, they're not about that. Right. No, right. Sadly, sadly, sadly. Hey, Nate, uh, it's a pleasure to make your Queens bro. And uh, informative. We definitely got to do this again. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anytime. If uh, people want to know more about you, we'll throw the link in the podcast description. Just just hook you up on your Instagram. Yeah, yeah, it's perfect. Perfect. All right. Anything else you want to share before we wrap this up? No, no, I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, that was a great conversation. Yeah, I'm 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 glad we we got into the uh, uh, the conversations because I, I you know I like I personally like addressing like you know the emergent biosolutions situation you know and like like you know like just being really like transparent and honest about things like that you know so i appreciate that you yeah. bet Nick. No, thank likewise. you oh yeah likewise man no you're fantastic thanks buddy we're gonna have you on again that's for sure if you or a loved one is struggling with addiction please call parents and addicts in need at 559-579-1551 or check us out online at painnonprofit.org follow us on social media at pain nonprofit Please subscribe to the podcast and share with others wherever you get podcasts and on YouTube. To donate, please click the link in the description and help us save more lives gripped by addiction.